Let's go to Matthew chapter number six. Matthew six, and we'll read verses 16 through 18. It says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fa- they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you openly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that we have to spend together this morning studying your word. Thank you for, again, this Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for how practical it has been uh, for all of us in learning, Lord, what you would have for us to do. Thank you for teaching us these things, specifically over the last few weeks, Lord, about giving and prayer. And then today, this topic of fasting. Lord, I know personally in my life, I have not given this as much attention or significance as perhaps I ought to, or, or at least can. Lord, so I pray that you would continue to teach me, even now as we go back through these things, and to give us a desire for you, Lord. In all these things, may we seek you. None of these are rituals just to be done for the sake of doing them, Lord, but it's, it's all for you. So Lord, I pray for your blessing upon this time together. We love you, and thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Joanna, could I ask you to bring that remote up to me? I might need that here. So as we get into this passage, um, I couldn't help but see a little bit of irony. Thank you. Uh, a little bit of irony in noticing that on the week of Thanksgiving, you know, maybe the, the biggest week of feasting in America, that the passage falls on the concept of fasting. And uh, I did not plan that. I promise you I didn't plan it. Um, because if I had planned it, I probably would have planned something else instead. But uh, so maybe a little bit of humor in that, and that's fine. And uh, I know the Holy Spirit works in these ways. And uh, maybe he's telling me I need a fast this week, but um, I don't know. If you don't see at least a little humor in that, I think that your funny bone might be broken. And uh, but that's okay. So this is the third of the three topics that Jesus has been addressing uh, with these, these ideas or these topics of piety, as you might call them, or religious deeds. We looked at, at giving of alms. We looked at prayer, of course, with the Lord's Prayer. And uh, now we're, we're looking at the idea of fasting. And again, those things that we've already seen, we've noted, they were things that Jesus didn't address them as commands. He really addressed them as assumptions. They were things that would have been part of the normal routine life of the faithful Jew. And as he addresses them, he speaks sort of assuming that they're going to continue as part of the lives of his followers as well. So for instance, he says, not if, but when you give your alms. And for instance, he says, not if, but when you pray. And then finally here in verse number 16, he follows the same pattern. And he says, again, not if, but when you fast, when you fast. Fasting of the three, I would have to say, is probably the least spoken of, uh, maybe the least understood, 
And without a doubt, it's probably the least practice. Now, I could be speaking only from my experience. We typically do that. And maybe I'm revealing too much about myself there. But as I think back just on the teaching that I've had in my life, as I think back on the, the many sermons that I've heard, the many books that I've read, and all the conversations that I've had with Christians throughout the years, I can say for certain that, that giving and praying are assumed for the lion's share of Christians. But fasting doesn't get as much airtime. It just doesn't. What is fasting? What is fasting? Well, the basic meaning of the words for fasting in the Bible, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, simply mean to abstain. They mean to abstain. In the Old Testament, the word is specifically tied to abstaining from food. Um, the New Testament word is a little bit more broad. It just means to abstain, but it's, it's usually tied to food as well in the New Testament, and that's what we understand it as. Uh, most of the fasts that we see in the Old Testament were communal fasts. Um, they were fasts that were done in the congregation of Israel to mark a special time, a time of mourning, or most of the time, as we'll see, a time of repentance. As the topic turns into the New Testament, though, it, the, the concept shifts, or maybe it has shifted a bit, and we see smaller fasts or even individual fasts becoming the more normal form of fasting. Now, in our day, probably the most common type of fasting that we hear of is, is just dietary fasting for the purpose of regulating health. Uh, there's like intermittent fasting for weight loss. There's, there's fasting before a weigh-in if you're a, if taking part of a sport that, that uh, is, is, uh, has weight classes. Um, but these kinds of, of medical fasts are kind of a modern adaptation. Um, fasting in ancient times was voluntarily done. It was done for religious purposes. And uh, you have to think in a culture where food was not as regulated and guaranteed as it is in our day, uh, fasting for dietary reasons probably would have seemed a little bit odd. Um, so Jesus, of course, isn't speaking to the idea of, of dietary fasting for, for health concerns here. Um, the Bible doesn't really speak to that concept. Um, as this is grouped with prayer and giving of alms, this is certainly a spiritual concept, a religious idea. So fasting then in this case is a specific time of abstaining from food for the purpose of religious devotion. That's, that's just to put it broadly. It, within that idea of religious devotion, there could be many things as we'll see, but that's kind of the big picture. It's almost always seen in scripture as accompanied by prayer or worship, seeking an answer from the Lord, seeking forgiveness or seeking wisdom. And perhaps we're less prone to fasting because the idea of being in need for us is not quite so evident as it was in that day. The idea of being in need of provision or of answers in our day in the 21st century is, is less common because we have things like grocery stores and we have things like Google. But Jesus assumes that his followers will fast. And he gives instruction in this passage on how to do so in a God-honoring way. So for followers of Jesus, fasting 
is not an empty ritual. It's a time of private and earnest devotion, seeking the will of God, not recognition by men. That's kind of the big idea for this passage today. And uh, we'll see this in several ways, but I want to start outside of this passage and uh, take maybe a kind of a flying leap through scripture for a few minutes. And uh, so I hope that you will bear with me as we look. So we'll see uh, first a survey of fasting. And uh, this might be a little bit tedious for for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, We're going to look at a lot of scripture. It'll be on the screen, but as I always do, I encourage you to to turn to these if you can, or at least jot them down so you can look at them later. Um, And I'll try to keep my comments to a minimum. I want to take a survey through scripture to to see fasting in as full of a sphere as possible because it's such a foreign concept to so many people. Um, So we'll start in the books of Moses and work our way all the way to the early church in the book of Acts. So first, let's start with the Old Testament, the Old Testament. And uh, the very first time we see fasting and really a command to fast is in the celebration of Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. Leviticus chapter number 16, verses 19 through 31, read this way. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the 10th day of the month, You shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. Now, at least in my translation, the word fasting doesn't appear specifically there. But in other translations, and you may have it in a footnote, the idea of afflicting yourself there has always been interpreted from ancient times up as fasting. It's afflicting yourself as in not eating, voluntarily not eating food. Uh, We see that in in how the Jews have applied that both in the Old Testament and in modern days. Uh, We see it in books of history as well. So there's really no no doubt or no question that that's what what was understood there was the idea of fasting on this day of atonement. So with that in mind, Israel was commanded as a nation to fast on the day of atonement, a day that marked the cleansing and purifying from sin in the congregation of Israel. Now, what's significant here is that this is really the only regulatory command, quote unquote, to fast that we have in scripture. Now, there are other times when people, groups of people, were commanded to fast at specific times for specific reasons. But as far as a generally applying command to all of Israel, this is really it. This is the only one. The idea of fasting in relation to forgiveness or atonement, as it is there, uh, seems to continue through the Old Testament in a big way. Uh, I want to look at the prophet Joel Uh, chapter 2, verse number 12. Yet even now, the Lord speaks through Joel, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Here through the prophet Joel, the Lord tells his people to return to him, and part of their repentance outwardly was with fasting, fasting 
and mourning. This idea of, of mourning over sin, mourning and repentance with fasting as an outward sign, this occurred even among those who weren't Jewish. Uh, think of the story of Jonah. And uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse number 5, after Jonah had been spewed out from the whale and traveled to Nineveh and, and preached his message of repent, uh, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It says the people of Nineveh believed God and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So fasting often took place in times of repentance or times of atonement. But it was also seen in times of, of general mourning as well. Another scripture, I told you there would be a lot. Uh, Judges chapter number 20, verse 26. It says, all the people of Israel, the whole army went up and came to Bethel and wept. And they sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. A little context. This was after the sort of the civil war, if you want to call it, with the tribe of Benjamin. And tens of thousands of people of Israel had just been killed in that war. And the army of Israel took part in this corporate fast of mourning for that great loss. So we see fasting at a time of mourning. Another one, 1 Samuel 31, verse 13. They took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Again, so this will not be without context. This is following the death of Saul and uh, some of his sons, and those bones were gathered, buried, and some of the warriors took part, again, in a fast of mourning for, in this case, seven days. We could look at a lot of other passages in the Old Testament, but with these as a little bit of a survey, we see that it was largely corporate, fasting that is. Uh, it was done in smaller groups at times. It was only commanded generally once at the Day of Atonement, but it was seen as appropriate as part of repentance or part of mourning at other times as well. Let's look then at the New Testament. And uh, I mentioned as, as we turn into the New Testament, the concept of fasting seems to have, have morphed just a little bit. Um, the use of fasting really shifts from being mostly corporate to being mostly personal. Um, the first example that we see of fasting is from the prophet Anna, the old woman who was present when Simeon gave his blessing over the baby Jesus in the temple. And if you remember that passage, it says there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So here we see this devout Jewish woman, Anna, a prophetess, and she was in the temple in her old age, and it says she didn't depart. She fasted and worshiped and prayed day by day. Now, this wasn't a commanded fast. It was simply a personal and private fast for the purpose of worship and devotion, for the purpose of worship and devotion. The next example of fasting that we see in the New Testament 
is a little bit more of a famous one. And that's in Matthew chapter number four. And that's where we see our Lord Jesus himself fasting in the wilderness. And uh, I think this fast is really the greatest example of devotional fasting, if you will, that we see in scripture. And we read in Matthew four, beginning in verse one, Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Of course, we, we've already looked at this passage a number of months ago, but again, we see as Jesus prepared for this battle with the devil, uh, even being physically weakened by a long fast, he fought, he fought rather valiantly and with prayer and the word of God as his weapons. But he had sought the Father. He had fasted there for 40 days. That's one example of fasting for private or personal devotion to God. And by Jesus' day, other private or individual fasts were really pretty common. Um, it's been noted in history that the Pharisees, for instance, fasted twice a week, usually on Monday and Thursday. And we see that in a snippet in one of Jesus' parables about the Pharisee and the tax collector. We're almost done jumping through scripture, I promise. So just hang on a couple more minutes. Uh, Luke 18, verses 11 and 12. This is, of course, a parable of Jesus. He says, the Pharisee standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Of course, we know the rest of that passage. These two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector, went up to pray, and the Pharisee sort of trusted in his own religion, and the tax collector couldn't even look to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And in the prayer that, that Jesus speaks in this story, the Pharisee mentions that he fasts twice a week. And uh, that, was, that seems to be confirmed in history that that was a pretty common practice among the Pharisees. And it was common knowledge among the people that they took part in those fasts. Everybody knew it. If it was a Monday or a Thursday, typically the Pharisees would be fasting, and it was not a private thing at all. It was personal, but it was very public in that sense. And I think this has a lot to do with what Jesus is addressing in Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. So all that to get where we are uh, right now um, is these fasts that were private, but yet very public. One more snippet before we jump back into Matthew, and that's in the book of Acts chapter number 13, because we see that the concept of fasting doesn't drop off with Jesus. It continues in the early church as well. Acts 13 verses 1 through 3, a great turning point in the, the history of, of the Christian religion. It reads this way. Now that we're in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And again, we see this in Acts 14, verse 23. This is on Paul's, uh, Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey. It says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So this fasting with prayer sort of was part of the spark of the first great missionary movement in the Christian church, the sending forth of Paul and Barnabas. And uh, if you're coming to Sunday school, we're going to look at that uh, next week. So maybe that's a little bit of a teaser. Um, but we see that fasting seemed to be a continual part of the Christian obedience as they sought the Lord, as they worshiped him. It was what part of what they did. So we've seen both corporate fasts and private fasts. We've seen fasts for repentance, for mourning, for worship, for consecration, for seeking wisdom. Uh, fasting, again, all, almost always seems to be accompanied by times of prayer and worship or devotion. And by the New Testament, individual or smaller fasts seem to be much more commonplace than the corporate fasts of Israel in the Old Testament. God's people throughout the centuries have utilized fasting as, as a means, an outward means of drawing near to God. But just like prayer and giving, fasting certainly can be an avenue for pretense. And that's exactly what we're to avoid. That's what Jesus is speaking about in this passage. So uh, I applaud you for hanging on through all that scripture. And uh, we're going to jump back into Matthew. And we'll see negative examples of fasting. Again, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When I started reading and studying this passage earlier this week, my mind went back uh, almost immediately to something that we looked at in Isaiah probably 10 months ago. And uh, a lot has happened between now and then. But the words of Isaiah in chapter 58 seem to speak to a similar concept here where people were fasting. It was outward. It was religious at least in action, but there wasn't much reality behind it. Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 4. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God. Listen, why have we fasted, they say, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, this is the answer, you seek your own pleasure and oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Here, 
similar to what was taking place in Jesus' day, people, again, were fasting, and it was outward, and it was religious. There wasn't much reality behind it. And the people were asking the question. They were saying, Lord, why are we fasting, but you're not taking any notice of it? Why do we oppress ourselves, yet you don't give us any answer? And the answer, of course, was because their fasting was only an outward exercise that wasn't backed by any true inward reality. They fasted with their mouths, so to speak, but they continued to act unrighteously. They, uh, they oppressed their workers. They quarreled with their brothers and sisters. And the Lord said, fasting like yours will not make your voice to be heard on high. We could ask this question. If we fast from food, but we keep on in unrighteousness, what good is the fasting? The answer to these people was a stern but direct verdict. Fasting like this will not make your voice to be heard on high. Which sounds exactly like what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6, doesn't it? Again, Jesus says, when you fast, I'll give, go back to where we're supposed to be here. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus' words speak really about the same problem and the same result that Isaiah spoke of. You have people, again, fasting publicly, openly, expecting some reward from it, but their fast was empty because it was only a facade. It was only a facade of righteousness with no depth. Again, if the Pharisees made it a, a, a practice to fast twice a week on Monday and Thursday, this, again, would have been common knowledge, and they were personal fasts, but on public display. And Jesus, like when he spoke about giving and prayer, uses the word hypocrite here, which means a play actor or a, a stage actor, to describe people who fasted only to be seen by others. And what he says is really interesting. He says, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites who disfigure their faces. Um, the hypocrites here, no doubt, were some of those Pharisees. Jesus will use that word specifically to describe them in later passages. But uh, again, they fasted personally, but it seems that they intentionally made their faces appear famished and gloomy so others would know they were fasting. That word disfigured, uh, where they disfigure their faces, it literally means to, to make to disappear. It's, it's as if they were making themselves unrecognizable, whether it was through makeup or soot or, or whatever it might have been, to those who had seen them so that they would know they were fasting. Again, this was for display. It was for attention. Now think of this. You and I, especially me, could easily go one full day without eating. And at the end of that day, we might be more tired than normal, we might be a little bit grumpy, um, but we probably wouldn't be that bad off. And it wouldn't have been much different for these 
these, her- uh, these hypocrites that Jesus is speaking about. They could have fasted privately without anybody really knowing about it, but they seem to make a point of it for public display on purpose. Their fast, which could have been and should have been for intense devotion and seeking the Lord, was only seeking an audience. And Jesus says, as he said about those who pray falsely and give falsely, he says, they have received their reward. Instead of seeking the Lord in earnest devotion, they were seeking recognition. And that was the reward that they received. But Jesus, of course, doesn't just give us a what not to do. Um, I'm thankful that he always gives us positive examples as well. Of course, we've seen a positive example of fasting in Jesus himself as he fasted in the wilderness seeking his father. But he also teaches us with his words a positive example. And he gives us two sets of instructions here. First, he speaks about our outward appearance. In verse number 17, he says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Anoint your head and wash your face. This wouldn't have been an extraordinary thing. Um, this anointing wasn't spiritual or even medicinal. It was, it was common practice to anoint yourself with oil uh, to, to make your appearance seem more joyful, to, to give a sort of a glow, as it were. Um, it was considered a happy thing, a joyful thing. And that might seem backwards because why do something joyful when you're taking part in an activity that often represents mourning or often re- represents repentance? Well, it's for the very reason that fasting is to be a spiritual endeavor. And Jesus clearly sees its main application as private and personal. He doesn't say to broadcast the idea. Rather, he says, when you fast, wash your face, anoint yourself with oil. Uh, Don't rub soot on your face. Don't make yourself look all gloomy. It's not for others. It's a private act. It's personal. For this, or for us, this might be simply akin to taking a shower, uh, washing our faces, brushing your teeth, uh, wearing makeup if you're if you're a privy to that, shaving if if that's something that you do for some reason. Um, this would be our normal routines of of hygiene. Is Jesus saying to hide our fasting, to to lie about it? No, of course not. But he is saying that we should not try to do anything out of the ordinary to make our fasting known to other people. It's a personal time in this teaching. It's it's a time of seeking the Father. Again, the idea here at the end of all these is, is the concept of reward, which we desire from the Father, not others. So the focus on all these things, whether it's giving, prayer, or fasting, is toward the Father and not others. He speaks of outward appearances, He also speaks of inward intentions. Yes, fasting obviously does have physical ramifications. If you're not going to eat for a day, you'll experience physical hunger. But that physical affliction is is lighter than the spiritual need that you're addressing in in the fast. Of course, it's coupled with prayer. It's coupled with devotion. Fasting perhaps gives way in our physical need to acknowledge that communion with God is far superior. It recognizes God as the provider of all good gifts and values devotion to him above temporary satisfaction. 
for that reason, we don't have to make any public display of the fast for it to be legitimate. In fact, as Jesus speaks here, it seems we're better off being as private about it as we can uh, within reason. God the Father sees our heart even when we're totally alone. Just as he sees when we give privately and just as he sees when we pray in our closet, so God knows when we've set aside a time to seek ourselves or to seek to devote ourselves to him, even if nobody else knows that we're doing it. And just like the other activities, prayer and giving, if we ever get the notion that our prayer or our giving is only good if other people see us do it, then we need Jesus' teaching here, just like his disciples in that day, because we live again for an audience of one. Jesus' teaching here is really quite simple. He assumes that his disciples will fast, and he gives us instructions on how to do that. But I want to close today by voicing a couple practical questions about fasting. These are questions that have always come up in my mind. Maybe they have come up in your mind as well. And certainly I won't answer all of your questions and I don't have all the answers to these questions, but maybe these will spark a conversation or some thinking in your own life. And the first question is this, must we fast or do we have to fast? Um, Again, if you remember back to the first point, We noted that the only overarching command for Israel to fast was on the day of the feast or was on the the celebration of the Feast of Atonement uh, of Yom Kippur. Fasting was commanded at other times in specific instances, but it, it doesn't appear as a law, so to speak, in any other place. There's no command, so to speak, for us to fast, for Christians to fast, but there certainly is an expectation that we will. And maybe that's the difference. Maybe asking, do we have to fast, is the wrong question. And technically, the answer to that is probably no. We don't have to fast. But if we're asking, do we have to, we might be overlooking the importance of it in the first place. Again, Jesus anticipates that his disciples will be giving, will be praying, and they will be fasting. Those things go assumed. He, he doesn't spend his words commanding or, or browbeating as you were or as you would uh, his people into doing those things, but rather he's concerned with why. Why are we doing those things? And I have to admit, this is a question that arises from my own heart because fasting is certainly, of these three, the lowest of my priorities. Now, I could blame that on my upbringing. I could blame it on teaching that I've received. I could blame it on culture. But really, I can only look into my own heart and ask the question, not do I have to fast, but why don't I? Why don't I? I know that it's expected in the scripture. I know that it's it's good. And I know there are countless anecdotes that give us a reason to fast. So do we have to fast? Technically, no. But that has to follow up with another question. Should we? Should we fast? And the answer to this is generally, yes, we should. God's people throughout the centuries have consistently used fasting as part of their worship and part of their prayer life. 
Now, that's not to say that we should, like Jesus, fast for 40 days at one time. But Jesus clearly does fast. His disciples did as well. And the early Christians did as part of their prayer as well. Then there's little reason for us to think that it has no value. Now, why might we not? Well, again, we're not commanded to do it. So if, if you have some specific health concern that if you don't eat for you know six or eight hours, you're in danger of, of, of serious health troubles, then, then you probably shouldn't fast. And the Lord knows your heart. And he can see your devotion to him in another way. But as a rule, we should see fasting as a good thing. It shouldn't be seen as a command or even just a ritual. It shouldn't become rote or mundane, just like prayer. But it can be joyfully utilized. In other words, look at it this way. We're free to fast. And Christ gave us a reason to. And he gave us instructions on how to do so. Another question that that I've thought throughout the years and came back this week, should we ever tell others that we are fasting? Should we ever tell others that we are fasting? You might read Jesus' words here in Matthew and come to the conclusion that it's wrong if anybody else ever knows that you're fasting. Well, clearly that doesn't seem to be the intention. As we saw in the book of Acts, Small groups of believers seem to fast together sometimes. So there's no indication that absolutely nobody should know if we're fasting. The idea is that we shouldn't fast in order for other people to know about it. So some practical thoughts I had. If you're married, for instance, and you decide to fast for a day, it would be pertinent to let your spouse know what you're doing. Uh, you shouldn't lie about it. You know, You shouldn't just say, well, I'm not hungry for three meals when the reality is you're fasting. Um, Jesus says, you know, to not go out of our way to let other people know, but he doesn't tell us to lie in the process. Perhaps you're fasting and praying over a very specific concern or a need in your life. It might be pertinent to reach out to a close brother, a spiritually mature person. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's one of your, the church leadership. Maybe it's a friend. And to let them know, this is a need I have. I'm praying about it. I've decided to fast and just ask them to pray not only for the need, but to pray for you in the process. And perhaps they'll decide as well to spend time fasting along with you. That's good. That's, that's a wonderful thing to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that would not be bragging. That's simply leaning on one another in your time of need. Now, there are some times where you might not want to fast. Uh, I joked at the beginning of this sermon that there's a little bit of humor in speaking about fasting on the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, but you might want to consider that if you wake up on Thursday morning and think it might be a good day to fast, you're going to have to explain to quite a few people while you're sitting there with an empty plate on the table. So it may not be the best occasion to do so. And it may be, uh, it may be more against the point to just skip the meal altogether because it will cause so many questions that there may be more of a problem than you're trying to solve in your fasting in the first place. So you have to be wise about it. Uh, as, as, as you read back through, not in the Bible specifically, but in the traditions of the Jewish people, uh, they didn't fast on feast days for that very reason, because it was a time to celebrate a time of joy. Uh, Matt read earlier from, from later in the book of Matthew, where John's disciples asked Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? 
And Jesus says, well, when the bridegroom is around, there's joy, there's no need to fast. In other words, while Jesus was there, uh, it was a time of celebration, a time of joy. So there are certain times where fasting isn't opportune. Again, we're free to do it. You're not commanded to. You can use the wisdom that God gives you in making these decisions. Again, at the end of the day, the Lord knows and cares about your heart. So if you choose not to fast one day, you can fast another day if you so choose. Finally, and here's a question that is probably more popular in our day than ever, can fasting include things other than food? That's a common question. It's one that I've asked many times. A lot of Christians, as part of their uh, as part of their church calendars, celebrate uh, Lent, a time of abstaining from certain things, and it's kind of like fasting. Only most of the time, people seem to give up things other than food during that celebration. And uh, Lent, if you were to celebrate that, of course, isn't the only time you could do something like this. People often take fasts from from reading, fast from social media, fast from watching the news, um, fast from entertainment. Uh, There are many things. So the question is, can we do this? Should we do this? Is this actually fasting? Well, again, the Bible doesn't give us any really instruction on these things. Fasting in scripture always seems to refer to abstaining from food. But again, in fasting, we have some freedom. And if fasting is a time of earnest devotion and seeking the Lord, then we can use some of that freedom here. Let me think through this with you a little bit. Say I sense the need in my life to fast because my spiritual life is dwindling. I sense a lack of closeness with God. There's a, there's a specific thing I need to pray about. Say I sense that I'm too distracted by the cares of life, so I decide to fast for a day. Well, if I decide not to eat for a day or two, but I still indulge myself in watching the news for several hours or looking at Facebook or or reading magazines or whatever it might be, and I'm still concerning myself with the cares of life, the question I have to ask is, am I really fasting in that aspect? I am technically, but am I really devoting myself in that time to anything else? Again, fasting in scripture seems always accompanied by prayer, by worship, by intense devotion. If I just stop eating and don't do anything else, then I'm just going on a crash diet for a day. I might not actually be fasting. Think of the differences in our life compared to those in Jesus' disciples' day. Food is not our primary concern. It's just not. In the culture we live in, from the richest to the poorest, we typically know at least where our next meal is coming from, if not meals for days to come. But for many people in Jesus' day, their next meal, or at least tomorrow's meal, was a concern. It was a concern. They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have supermarkets. They they didn't have uh, supply chains and and enormous farms and and government-backed food supply and all that kind of things. Of all the things that took up their thinking, what am I going to eat was probably a big question. Not for all, but for many. To give up food then for them would be to say that they were more devoted to seeking the Lord than they were to attending to their biggest concerns in life. But again, for us, food is probably not our primary concern. Most days, it's an afterthought. Uh, 
most days for lunch, I decide what I'm going to eat for lunch 10 seconds before I eat it because I don't have to worry about it. So when we think about fasting, can we, do, can we remove other things in fasting? Well, in the scripture, I guess we can't technically say that not reading a book or not watching the news is, is fasting, so to speak. But when you look at the purpose behind it, I would say that if I am fasting, seeking a time of, of earnest prayer, of earnest devotion before God, then most likely giving up media for a day is probably getting rid of more distraction than simply not eating for a day. I want to close with one story, and uh, this one has some bearing on our church. It has to do with, with a ministry that we support. We're all familiar with, uh, with Teen Challenge. Uh, they, they've been here many times. They're going to come again after the first of the year and, and, uh, and sing for us and present their ministry. And uh, that's a ministry, of course, that has seen many lives changed, uh, freed from addiction, freed from, from all kinds of things through the power of the gospel. Well, Teen Challenge was started uh, primarily from the work of a man named David Wilkerson, uh, not to be confused with Dave Wilkinson at First Step Pregnancy Clinic, a uh, different person. But anyways, uh, Dave Wilkerson was a, an Assembly of God pastor in Pennsylvania. And uh, at one point in his life, he began to feel a lot of unrest. He felt a lot of uneasiness, a lot of stress. He felt his spiritual life dwindling. And one thing that he noticed he was doing every day is he spent two or three hours each evening watching the news and watching, uh, watching evening television. And uh, eventually he wondered if his time spent in front of the television was not only a cause for much of his worry, but also could be better used in prayer. Well, he came up with a lot of excuses, probably like you and I would do as well. He said, well, I need this to relax at night. I need it to be in touch with what's going on in the world. But eventually he couldn't convince himself with his excuses any longer. And he prayed to the Lord for wisdom and he asked God to show him if he should just get rid of his TV set altogether. So he came up with a plan. He took out an ad in the newspaper in his town and he put his TV set for sale. And he said, if the newspapers go out and with a half an hour of the newspaper being delivered to my house, if somebody calls and asks about the ad, then I'll know I'm supposed to get rid of the TV. Well, he did this. He put the ad out. The day came where it was going to be run. They received their newspaper at home, and uh, he, he recounts this really comical scene. It was his children and his wife and him on the couch and the TV set on the couch next to him, and they were just sitting there waiting. And uh, the, they, he started counting down the time. Ten minutes went by. Nothing happened. Fifteen minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. He started to feel safe. He thought he might be able to keep his television he began to say, well, hon, I guess I made the wrong decision. And as soon as he said that, the phone rang, and a gentleman on the other side of the line said, you have a television set for sale? And Dave said, yes, it's an RCA. It's two years old. I want $100 for it. And the, the guy on the other line said, have it ready in 15 minutes. I'll be there with cash. And uh, that's, that's a, a silly example, perhaps, but in his life, it was a real example of looking at what was distracting him what could he set aside? What was keeping him from perhaps a time of devotion that he needed? I can't give you any specific instructions on that in your life. That will depend on, on your specific situation. I can't tell you whether you should or should not fast from food or anything else tomorrow. That's entirely between you and the Lord. 
and I don't need to know about it unless you feel the need to ask for prayer. But what I do want to stress in this, again, Jesus cares not if we're doing these things, but why? But why? We shouldn't fast even just for the sake of fasting. But if you sense a need in your life, uh, the need for this earnest devotion, if you sense distraction from certain things, as we all no doubt do, then perhaps a time of fasting would be good. You don't have to do it, but it's good to do. You can do it. Jesus teaches us how to do it and what not to do as well.